0: Welcome to the Reasonable Theology Podcast, where we present sound doctrine in plain language. We're here to help you better understand, articulate, and live out the fullness of the Christian faith. And now, here's your host, Clay Craby.
1: Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Reasonable Theology Podcast, episode number 23. Today, our guest is Pastor J.A. Metters. He's the pastor of preaching and theology at Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas where he lives with his wife and two kids, Jeff blogs at jametters.com, which also hosts his podcast called Home Road, Just Keep Writing. He's the author of several books, including Humble Calvinism, which is the topic of today's episode. So Pastor Metters, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Hey, thanks, Clay. It's uh, good to be with you, bro.
1: You know, just to start off, could you maybe share a little bit about your ministry, your family, anything else you'd like the listeners to know about?
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. So yeah, I'm the, the pastor of Preaching and Theology here at our church. I'm, I'm one of five elders, and I'm really grateful for all the, all the brothers that I get to serve with. And we've got a great staff and, and great deacons at the church, a lot of just uh, wonderful brothers and sisters who, who serve here at Redeemer. Uh, I've been a part of the church since it started. I was one of the people that helped uh, plant the church. And then about two years in, I became the, the lead pastor, um, and it's just been a joy to, to be here and to serve uh, alongside with everybody. We're, we're an Acts 29 uh, church plant as well, and so we, we've planted our first church just a couple of years ago, and we're, we're planting more uh, along the way. And so we're, we're eager to plant more churches and, and be a part of Acts 29 and, and do other things with the Gospel Coalition and, and stuff like that. been married for 12 years, got my kiddos. Um. Yeah. That's about. I'm a huge Houston Rockets fan. So if anyone follows me on Twitter or gets on the podcast uh, home row that I have about writing, I will also talk a lot about uh, the NBA as well.
1: So they've been warned.
0: They've been warned. Yep.
1: No, don't unfollow. You knew ahead of time what (laughs) you were getting into. That's right. Now you've got a book called Humble Calvinism. I think it's important at the start to just you know lay the cards on the table. You and I are both card carrying Calvinists. Um. So this isn't, you know, throwing rocks from the outside. Any any critique, any criticism comes from someone that is really inside the Calvinist camp, correct?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm in.
1: Now, for those that are listening that might not be Calvinist, that might maybe have a kind of a shallow understanding or maybe even a misunderstanding of Calvinism, could you maybe define what we're talking about here before we hop into it?
0: Yeah, yeah. When it comes to to Calvinism, there's a couple of different ways to approach it. There's kind of the the bigger the bigger view that that Calvinists often have, and as that being uh, kind of like a whole worldview, an an entire approach. Um, to theology and an entire view of ecclesiology and, and systems of government, like political government and, and all that kind of stuff. That's not at all um, what I'm talking about. And, and I don't think that's what most people uh, talk about. It's really just the nitpickers um, who, who, who are even get agitated when we talk about TULIP. And so when we talk about Calvinism, I think most people are talking about uh, that acronym TULIP, the five points of Calvinism. Um, that really just revolve around the doctrines of how are people saved, um, the the doctrines of soteriology, the doctrines of grace, and so how does a sinner get saved, and, and that's really I think what the Calvinism, the tulip is trying to explore, and uh, Calvin himself did not uh, come up with these five points, he did not articulate them. I have a little uh, chapter in the book, I mean like really little in the book to kind of give an entry level explanation to how did TULIP come to be? Um, and really it was a response um, to the, the, the group of Arminians there at the Church of Holland. They were coming up with some different ideas for how they wanted to articulate certain doctrines. And then the church responded, um, what they called was a, a remonstrance and they responded go, Hey, we don't actually believe these things there at this was happened all at the Senate of Dort. And they said, no, we actually believe these five things. Um, and then over time, those got articulated into the, the five points of Calvinism um, and eventually by TULIP. I think it was in the 1930s it got the acronym. So, so Calvin did not come up with the TULIP acronym. And we know that for two reasons. One, Calvin spoke French, and so it would not have played out that way. And also acronyms acronyms just weren't all the rage that they are today in the 15th and 16th centuries.
1: Yeah, that's helpful. And if, if someone feels like they need some sort of primer on what Calvinism, sometimes you'll hear it called the doctrines of grace. I've got an article on the website. I'll link to that in the show notes. You can check that out at reasonabletheology.org slash episode 23. Now, you've written a book about Calvinism called Humble Calvinism, and you write in there that the biggest problem with Calvinism is Calvinists like you. Uh, can you tell us more about why it is you say that?
0: Yeah, I think it's because I'm a jerk. Um, (laughs) like that can be my, uh, sadly, like Paul tells us, you know, in Romans seven, the things that I, I don't want to do are the things that I often do. And, and the things that I I do want to do in my life and with my heart and my mind, um, I end up not doing, um, and I, I think that's the battle of, for Calvinists too. And so I go into personal stories of my own life and, and other people that I know too, who, we love the doctrines of grace and we get so excited about them and, and energized to talk about them. But we kind of, it's like, it's like we throw our Christianity out the window when, when we start to talk about it. Um, we throw out the verses from Jesus that we should love our neighbor as ourself, uh, that, that the meek inherit the earth, um, not the theological street fighters. Um, and, and so I could just see these things in my own history and in my own life. And I saw them in others and I thought, you know, it really is a shame that if we hold to the doctrines of grace, and the stereotype is true, oftentimes Calvinists aren't very gracious, well, then we're, we're misunderstanding these doctrines. Because if the doctrines of grace aren't making us gracious, then I, I just don't think, I don't think we understand them at all. And so I wanted to explore um, how could these, these amazing, what I think to be amazing truths of God's goodness and his mercy and his sovereignty towards us sinners, um, how that should humble us. Um, and not make us energized to want to beat each over the head with uh, Calvin quotes,
1: sure and you kind of point out too, and others you know that you've talked to or um, interviews on podcasts, things like that that humble Calvinism almost seems like an oxymoron but yeah. if you understand what Calvinism is actually teaching, the real uh, disconnect ought to be that you could believe these things you could believe that you're you're saved by faith alone, through Christ alone, through grace alone, all these things, and yet not be gracious. That should be the real um, oxymoron. It should be a a non-humble Calvinist. That's right. Now, some people might be familiar with the term cage stage. I think that comes up a lot. Could you just real briefly, what are people talking about when they say or call someone a cage stage Calvinist? Yeah,
0: so a a cage stage Calvinist um, is a person that who is brand new. I mean, like, just opened up the bag of potato chips of Calvinism. The smell has filled their nostrils, and they are going ballistic. Um, Now they're like bloodhounds where they're sniffing out, um, sniffing for theological um, aberrations, listening for things that aren't as fully Calvinized as as they would like, and then they're just correcting everybody. Um, if, if they hear someone say, man, this guy at my office, he's a really good dude. And they'd say, don't you know that no one is good except God alone? And, and why, why do you, why do you call people good? Their, their mouths are full of venom, um, and, and all that stuff like from Romans three. And so it's like this, so the, they're, they're amped up. They, it's like a guy who's lifting weights and is just roiding out on theology and so it's a cage because they say, we need to lock this person up in a cage so they'll stop harming people, stop burning relational bridges, and stop going so crazy. And then once the stage, once that stage passes, because it is a stage, um, you, you mellow out. But God's mercy really does begin to mellow you, mellow you out as you connect the dots. And then that stage passes, and then we can let you back out, and, and you can be a, a free range Christian again.
1: And sadly, for some of us, or at least at times, that, that stage doesn't pass quickly, and, and some it's people true. can still see almost like a second conversion. I became a Christian, and then a few later, years later, God opened my eyes, and, and by His grace, I became a Calvinist. Yeah. Uh, and then, sadly, they can also start to see that anyone who's behind them, so to speak, in that process is just anathema, not a Christian, or just not up to their level. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's, that's really harmful in lots of ways.
0: Oh absolutely yeah, and it, it is a i mean I get on on one level how if you didn't grow up in a church that that taught these things um or you know when when you do hear them, it is does kind of become a how come no one's taught me this before um how come nobody has showed me this i feel, you, you feel like you've been robbed or you've been cheapened and, and not that it was intentional by and large it's it's typically not. And so then what happens is I think there is a, a tinge of a good motive of, Hey, I want to tell other people about this stuff that has really just affected my heart. And I I really do love, um, God because of what I've seen in the scriptures and what I've heard. And I want to tell other people that, but then it can kind of quickly turn into this weird morphed amalgam. If, if people don't respond well, well, then you feel like, well, don't you love God? Um, don't you care about his word? How come you don't believe this? Um, which is a which is a leaping to conclusions that ought not to be leapt to, um, that you can love Jesus and not agree with the same understanding of predestination of Calvinism. Um, you can love Jesus and, and really struggle to believe um, liberty and atonement or particular redemption. Um, these things are not synonymous, and I think that is the, the unfortunate jump that a lot of Calvinists make. We, we start tying things to the wagon that, that shouldn't be tied to it.
1: Why do you think this has happened? Because when I think of um, historical or modern proponents of Calvinism, you think of people like Spurgeon, modern day, you could think of people, uh, R.C. Sproul or Ligon Duncan, men like this, they're very winsome, they're very kind and gracious. What is happening that, you know, the ground level uh, really is open to the criticism of being jerks?
0: Right. You know, the first thing that comes to mind is what Paul tells us. That knowledge does puff up. Um, there is a helium quality to, to learning. And we have to tamper it with the oxygen of, of the gospel. And I, I write about this in the book. that I think Calvinism and Corinthian meat markets can often have a lot in common. And so you have in the Corinthian meat market are are people that are getting puffed up and have pride and they have division happening over whether or not you should eat the meat that was offered to idols in the temples and is now being sold at a discount in the marketplace where some Christians say, Hey, I know that this meat is just meat. It doesn't really bother me. It shouldn't bother you. You should just eat it. You should believe like I do, or you're not as mature. And then they're, they're getting puffed up. Well, the same thing can be true often with Calvinists is that, Hey, we believe this way. You should believe just like us. If it, Clearly, you don't love Jesus if you don't believe like us. Uh, clearly, you're not as mature if you don't believe like me. And, and so that that is, I think, the issue is knowledge puffing us up. And that happens when Christ is no longer the center. Um, I think for the brothers that you mentioned, one reason why they don't come across as arrogant Calvinists is because Calvinism isn't the, the banner that they wave. Uh, Christ is the banner that they wave, and they also happen to be Calvinist. So so Christ is first. So I think we are Calvinist best when we aren't Calvinist first.
1: and yeah, it really is a good point that you raise there because when you look at the the words of Of Spurgeon, he he's not ashamed to call himself a Calvinist, a Baptist, but his creed is Christ, and that is that is like you said, the banner that he waves. He's not seeking to convert Christians to Calvinism; he's seeking to draw sinners to Jesus Christ, and that is a hugely important perspective that we all have to keep in mind. Yeah, amen. Now. Do do you feel like this is a new problem? Is this just exasperated by uh, Twitter and YouTube and just the internet? Uh, how do you feel this has been historically in the church? Right.
0: Yeah, no, I, I do not think this is a is a new problem. Uh, one um, going back to the Corinthian meat markets, right? I mean, we're any kind of knowledge that we have that someone else doesn't have and that we want them to have, and then they reject, or the, uh, the knowledge we have that other people don't have, we can often feel like we're better, we're smarter. Um, or the enlightened ones. Um, it could be about anything. Um, but you also see tensions you know, arising throughout church history. So you have Augustine and Pelagius going back and forth. Um, you have theological battles happening all, all throughout uh, church history. You've got uh, Calvin and Luther having their own discussions about the Lord's Supper. You've got um, you got Calvin Calvinist followers and Arminius followers there debating these things in the Church of Holland. Um, so I, these things are not new. Um, you've got American revivalism with, uh, Wesley and Whitfield and, and them, the great awakenings, them also believing different things about the doctrines of grace. But what I love about it, about these brothers is they, they still loved each other. Like George Whitfield and John Wesley is just an amazing example, how they totally believed different things about the, the doctrines of grace. Whitfield, the, the big Calvinist, uh, Wesley, clearly not. Um, and a question was asked of, of Wesley and Spurgeon tells the story. And I I tell the story in the book too, is someone asked George Whitfield, in a large meeting, like, do you think John Wesley will see John Wesley in heaven and Whitfield pauses and he says, no, I don't think we will. And so you can imagine the crowd, like horror going, Oh my goodness, what a horrible, um, (laughs) thing to say. And then Whitfield continues. He says, the reason we won't see, john in heaven is because he will be so near the throne and we will be so far in the back that we won't be able to see him like that that is humble calvinism yeah that is putting a priority and a primacy on our unity in christ and our shared union with the lord jesus himself and not calvin um not doctrine itself but christ and so I think today, um, and I think about, you know, I grew up in a, in a reformed Southern Baptist church and you could see these kinds of battles and tensions. So this is way before social media and way before all, even the internet was even close to what the internet is today. It took forever to get on the internet, It took forever to do anything on the internet. Um, I had a flip phone. I mean, so all that, so there were the same battles there then, um, now they just happen more frequently. There's, there's more wildfires because it's just the nat- nature of social media. But if we can find, um, I think if we can find more value and more love and more charity in us being united to Christ, um, I, I, don't, I don't care if you're not a Calvinist. Um, if you're in Christ, then we're good. Uh, we're together. We can have a fun family conversation um, in the same way we, well, I would talk with a, another Christian friend about any other kind of theological topic. But what matters is that we're in Christ
1: and you mentioned, you know, Whitfield and Wesley, a, lot, a wonderful example of just winsome, humble Calvinism in his letters to Wesley too, which, I mean, we have access to and, and can read, and just how he presents those doctrines and yet doesn't uh, vilify or even see Wesley as an opponent. This isn't an argument that's playing out. It's it's a conversation between two Christians that, that's right. that love one another. Now, sometimes it, it can be the case, and maybe often is the case, where a Calvinist encounters a critique of Calvinism that is really a misunderstanding of Calvinism. I recall being in a church once where the, the pastor was really taking Calvinists to task because their doctrine of perseverance of the saint meant saints meant that you had to, in your own power, hold on to your salvation or you'll lose it. And I didn't know any better at the time and later realized that's not at all what perseverance of the Mm. saints means. How can we respond uh, to things like that in a loving, humble fashion? How can we correct misunderstandings? How can we promote what we see as true and good teaching of Scripture and still have that air of humbleness and love and grace? Yeah,
0: I would say the first thing um, is to make sure that you heard the person uh, correctly. And so make sure you understood the context of what they were saying um, and all that's, you know, all good. And and then if they're still like, Oh, I don't feel like that was an accurate, you know, portrayal of Calvinism. First, I would ask, what is my relationship with this person? Do, do I know them? Um, Do I have the kind of relational, if I don't know them, and this is just some rando on social media, well then who cares? Um, Just let it go if it's not affecting you and it's not affecting, um, people in your local church community, um, then that's really where I think I would draw the lines. Like, so for me, just an example, as, as a pastor, um, I, I have, I have pastoral authority, um, at, it only extends to our membership roster at Redeemer Church. I, I don't have any other say or any power or authority really out, outside of that and so I'm not hunting theology around people ask me what I think a uh, XYZ church in town is doing what do I think about that uh, and I say it doesn't really matter because i am not responsible for that I'm responsible for here at, at Redeemer church and if that if I have a good relationship with that pastor and we then we could talk about certain things but but I don't so who cares um we can pray for them And so I think it applies if it's your pastor and you feel like that was a, if your pastor is saying something, well, Hey, I would send an email and say, Hey, I had some questions about, um, what you said. Could we, could I buy you a cup of coffee over that? Um, I'd love to learn more. And so I think the approach we could take, um, as, Hey, I was wondering is a lot more kind and a lot more um, gracious than an accusatory. Hey, when you said, did you realize blah, 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 or that isn't right. What you said. Um, I think it's always more helpful to come with, hey, I was wondering if you could tell me about that. Um, and if it's someone else in your church or someone else in another church or whatever, and I, I think it really does come down to relationship. Do I have the kind of relationship where we could have this conversation? And so maybe a good maybe a good uh, way to think about it would be this. How would I feel if this person approached me with a disagreement? Would I be like eager to hear from them? If not... Maybe they don't want to hear from me, hmm. um, so it brings us to the you know golden rule: treat others as you would want to be treated. If I don't even have that kind of framework for the relationship, well, then maybe I should just let it go.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and also it brings to mind too. I mean, the need to be careful with our portrayals of other viewpoints too, making sure that we're being accurate and clear yeah. to the best of our ability. We 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 don't like it, and neither do they uh, when the the doctrine or the viewpoints misrepresented. Now is there what are some some key things people need to keep in mind? If someone uh, acknowledges that this is a problem, maybe not just in general, but in their own life, that they have a tendency to um, really lack grace in the name of loving their doctrinal system of Calvinism, what are some keys that they can keep in mind in order to uh, really address that and move forward?
0: Yeah, first, um, I think about how it's, it's good for us to know that knowing doctrine and knowing theology does not equal uh, maturity. Um, you can know all kinds of stuff and not be conformed into the image of Christ. Uh, Satan knows a lot of doctrine, and he certainly is not conformed into the image of the risen Lord Jesus. And so that really is our goal and that's why Paul talks about um, in the pastoral epistles, he tells Timothy that to watch out for people who, who, who teach false doctrine. And he defines it in two different ways, of course, with doctrine that, that is you know wrong, that is, uh, antichrist, but then also he says a doctrine that doesn't accord with godliness. And so if the way that we handle our theology does not roll out the red carpet to grow in godliness, to grow in Christ-likeness... Um, then it's off. It's wrong. And so our goal isn't just learning raw Calvinistic data. Our our goal is to become, as Kevin Van Hooser says, the end goal of theology is not to have um, an orthodox systematic textbook, but to become grown-up children of God. And so when you think about handling your Calvinism, um, I would handle it like like someone who's handling a nuclear rod. Uh, Be very careful with it. Have the gloves on, have on the tongs, um, have on the, the suit. And because if you handle it wrongly, you could hurt yourself and others, but if you handle it rightly and and if, if it becomes a conduit to really enjoying Jesus and seeing how he was the only one who isn't totally depraved and yet he took on my depravity at the cross, how he is the one that I'm chosen in before the foundation of the world, how he is the one that died for my sins and died for the sins of his people and he'll, he'll save anyone that comes to him, how we're drawn to him by the power of the spirit and how he's the one who holds us in his hand and also the father and sealed by the spirit saved for him at the end of the age. When we see that, that tulip really is all about Jesus. Then I think we'll, we'll really be
1: getting somewhere. If you enjoy the sermons and written works of C.H. Spurgeon, I encourage you to check out the all-new chspurgeon.com. Here you'll find free, unabridged sermon audio delivered with the dynamic of live preaching, articles written by and about the Prince of Preachers, a chronological bibliography of all his books, and much more. This will be a growing library of Spurgeon-related resources to help you in your walk with the Lord. So check it out at chspurgeon.com. Yeah, and, and the the point here and in your book and in this conversation isn't that you won't attempt to lead someone to a deeper or more biblically accurate understanding of their salvation, of of either election or atonement, or the, the, the role of both faith and works is that when you do that, you do that out of love. You don't do that to win arguments. You don't do that to beat people up. You don't do that to be right.
0: Yeah, amen.
1: Now, one of the things that strikes me too as you kind of think through these things is a key, maybe also to remember where you were at. Uh, I think Spurgeon has the quote that by nature we're all you know, born Arminians. That's right. <laughs> and, and then we, we learn, we grow, and, and we come to different understandings of what Scripture presents as how salvation works. I think part of that too might be just recognizing that you, you weren't always where you are now. And yeah. to be gracious to other people, you're not—you've uh, not arrived by any means. You're, there's things that you don't know that somebody else does, and you want to treat them, treat them well to those that are learning also.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's so true. I remember talking with somebody um, years ago, and they—I guess they had someone in their church that was rejecting the uh, the Calvinist understanding interpretation of predestination. And they just said, I mean, what am I supposed to think? I mean, they're just rejecting this teaching from scripture. They don't see it. They don't agree. I mean, are they even saved? And I just said, well, uh, sister, th- did you always believe this? I said, were you, when did you start to believe this? She said, well, just you know, a couple years ago. I said, well, when did you become a Christian? Well, about 10 years ago. <laughs> I said, well, were you a Christian those other eight years? Oh yeah. I said, okay, I think you have your answer. And then she goes, but I, w-, and I said, no, 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 no buts. Like, are you were you a Christian? I said, we're not saved by grace through faith in election. We're we're saved by grace through faith in in Christ our Lord. Um, and so that that that's where we really need to remember.
1: Yeah, in in the early you know, part of your book, you had, present this kind of humorous, but you know, it really hit me uh, this parable of sorts that you. Uh, made up about these different rooms in heaven. Would you mind sharing that? Oh, I just yeah. really thought that was impactful.
0: Yeah, so I, I opened the book by saying, so let's imagine that you get a a, a trip to heaven. And a little footnote there that says, I, I bet you didn't think a book on Calvinism would begin with a trip to heaven. So neither did I, but ha- let's hang tight. So you, you get a vision of heaven, and you don't learn who shot JFK. Um, you don't get to see any unicorns or, or anything like that. But Jesus is giving you a, a tour of the house that he's been building and preparing uh, for us. And so we, so we get to go down one hallway. And as we're approaching this, this hallway, there's a huge door. I mean, like one of those massive castle doors. It's like 20 feet tall, giant oak doors. And it's open. And it's loud. And there's a lot of singing and uh, dancing. And you, you, and you ask Jesus, Lord, what's, what's going on in there? he says, oh, uh, today the, my, my more charismatic brothers and sisters are, are meeting in this room today. They're having a little get-together um, just this week. They're like, oh, really cool. And th- you wave, and they're like, man, you tell Jesus they look like fun. And he says, oh, they are. They're a lot of fun. And so we keep going down the hall, and he's t- pointing out things to you. Um, and then you see another set of huge doors. And these doors are open, but it's a lot quieter, um, not, not, as, not as rowdy. Uh, still some singing. Uh, definitely no dancing. And so you're like, well, what's going on in there, Lord? He said, oh, um, well, some of the Baptist brothers and sisters and Presbyterians, and Anglicans, uh, they're, they're meeting. Some of them are meeting in here in here today. Oh, great. And you wave and they wave back. And Jesus says, you know, we're, I think we're almost out of time. We, we got to roll. So let's go. But down this hallway, we, we have to tiptoe. And so we're tiptoeing down the hall and and Jesus, you know, gives us the universal sign to be quiet. He puts his finger over his, his two lips and kind of shushes us. And then we see a set of doors. But these doors, these giant doors, they're closed. Um, and Jesus slowly himself tips by them. But you can't take it anymore. You say, Lord, why are these doors closed? What's, what's going on in there? And he says, well, the Calvinists are meeting in there. And they think they're the only ones here. I'd hate to spoil it for them. Yeah. It's just a crushing story, um, and you're right. I mean, that is often how we think, and it's like, and sadly, so much so that I think some Calvinists would even be bothered um, by by Jesus walking in there.
1: Yeah, and I think that's really kind of nails the heart of what's often going on with these issues among among our Calvinist brethren. Is we have such a difficult Time in finding the middle of the road between the ditch of just ecumenicism and hey, there's no reason for doctrine and differences don't matter and we'll all work together and sing kumbaya, and the other ditch being well no one else gets this but us and we're the only ones right. that are actual Christians and there's there's a lot of road in between there and neither of those ditches are places you need to be. Yeah, amen. Now the book itself isn't just a lecture for us to to play nice on the theological playground. What do you hope that the Calvinist reader is going to take away from reading this?
0: Yeah, I first hope um, these are not in order of importance, but just in, um, I'll say the most important one for last. Um, So first, I I think the first hope is that we would just see the practical nature of doctrine, that it does connect to our everyday life in Christ, Um, even the doctrines of Calvinism. So so they have real, tangible, um, energizing qualities for our journey as pilgrims towards New Jerusalem with Jesus. Um, it really does matter. And so I, I go through each point. Um, this book is not trying to argue for all the points like other books do, and they do that better than, than I would. I'm not going to hit you with a parade of verses to try to prove these points. Um, I'm assuming that if I give you a couple, that you'll be like, okay, I see this in the scriptures, and I'm going to explain it. But then I want to show you how it connects to your everyday life. Um, how, how, when you really do understand, for example, when you really do understand total depravity, it should help you grow in a total sympathy towards other sinners, Um, because total depravity is not a sniper scope to see everyone else's sins. Um, it's a mirror to, to also see our own that, oh yeah, I, I'm also a giant sinner, and I should have total sympathy towards others. And I also should have a total dependency. On, on Jesus for, for everything that I need. And so I kind of try to do that for each point. Um, here's how it connects to your everyday life. Here's how we need to rely on the Holy Spirit. Here's how we should love one another in the local church. Here's how this moves us towards personal evangelism and planting churches and going to the nations. Um, and then so secondly, what I really hope is, yeah, I, I do hope that people will put the book down and think, man, okay, I've learned a little bit about Calvinism. Okay, I know what this is now. But greater than that, I I hope that people walk away from the book thinking Jesus is great. Uh, Jesus is amazing. Um, As Calvin himself says, outside of Christ, there's nothing worth knowing. And so if people learn Calvinism, but they walk away from the book not enjoying Jesus more, then I failed. Um, I I really just want people to see that Jesus is great. Um, He is amazing. He loves us. And he is worth following. He is worth loving. Um, He's worth telling people about. Um, more than Calvinism, m- more than, more than anything else, more than anything else in this world. Um, Jesus is, Jesus is great.
1: Amen. And we'll definitely be linking to the book in the show notes. Again, you can find that at reasonabletheology.org slash episode 23. And I just want to say, this is not, this is not a heavy read. It's not a burden. It's funny. It's well-written, uh, and it's really desperately needed. None of us need to be walking around like a living Babylon B headline of the arrogant Calvinist. Uh, so I really recommend people, uh, whether you're a Calvinist or not, but particularly if you subscribe uh, to the doctrines of grace and you consider yourself reformed, can't recommend the book enough. And again, you can uh, check that at our guest website, jametters.com. You can find it on Amazon, and of course, we'll link to that in the show notes. Really appreciate you joining us. Any last words for our listening audience?
0: Uh, yeah, man, Clay. Thanks for for having me on the show. Um, if you wanted to follow me on Twitter, I guess you could follow me uh, there at Mr. Metters, just M R M E D D E R S. Uh, I'm on Instagram at, at Jeff Metters, and then yeah, you can find my podcast Home Row uh, there on uh, your podcast app. It'll it's it's on all of them, Spotify too or you can go to homeropod.com and, and check that out. And yeah, if you, if you buy the book, uh, I, tag me on Twitter. I, I'd love to interact with you and, and talk about it. Um, so yeah, I just hope that we will all uh, begin to love Jesus more and more.
1: Amen. Well, I appreciate your time. If this episode has been a help to you, I encourage you to share it. I encourage you to subscribe to thereasonabletheology.org podcast and your favorite podcast player and if you would take a moment to rate and review that it really does help uh, raise awareness and get more uh, people interested and able to see the episodes that we have so once again our guest has been J.A. Meadors the book is Humble Calvinism thank you so much for joining us
0: for listening to the Reasonable Theology Podcast. Be sure to visit reasonabletheology.org for more helpful resources on understanding, articulating, and living out the Christian faith. In addition to the show notes for this episode, you'll find articles, videos, book reviews, and much more. That's reasonabletheology.org.
1: Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the Reasonable Theology podcast, go to reasonabletheology.org slash subscribe and get the weekly email. Each week I send out the latest article or podcast episode, and each email also includes a helpful definition to expand your theological vocabulary, a beautiful painting to pick in a scene from scripture or church history, a musical selection to enrich your day, as well as the best book deal I've found that week to add trusted resources to your library. Try it out at reasonabletheology.org slash subscribe.